Thanks, Emily, for that this morning. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. <laughs> Just this crowd of wildebeest in this morning. Uh, morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, good to be back with you in John 5. A couple of things before we start. Uh, Jane, you didn't happen to bring any of that pseudo cream, we you know. There's a few of us doing 20 mile a day on the bike for 10K in May, and I'm just about to stay 16 now, so I could do with some of the pseudocreme. You know what I'm saying? So if you see if me shifting about here rather uncomfortably, you'll know why. Also, Jane, how many years have you been 38 now? <laughs> really? Lying on the Sabbath like your man here. Anyway, John 5. John 5, we are about to see Jesus meet a man and show him that his greatest need wasn't what he thought it was. He's about to show this man that his greatest need wasn't what he thought it was. And there are some of us in here this morning there who we're in a position in life where we feel there's this great need, and if we just had this great need sorted out, then everything would be okay. This one thing, if this one thing was sorted, everything would be grand. I remember, and I do remember, so don't question me on it, I do remember being around 15 or 16, and uh, I, I, in my head at the time, the greatest need that I had when you're a boy, when you're 15 or 16, there's a couple of things that you think you need, but the greatest need that I thought I had at the time when I was 15 or 16 was to get the license. If I could just get the car license, if I could just make it to 17, get the car license, then everything in the world would be fine. Everything would be awesome. All my problems would go away. Everything would be fixed. Had it all set up. Had my mother's wee black, mat, black metro ready to go. Uh, our plates cut round. You weren't supposed to do that. It was illegal, but it did it anyway. How many? Loads of us. Right. Uh, black metro, ready to go. Thought that was the greatest need. Got the test. Did the test. Not going to tell you how many times did the test. Did it more than once. That's all I'm saying. Uh, got the need. Or got the test. Thought that was my greatest need. And lo and behold, it wasn't. Lo and behold, it wasn't. I would imagine, I can't remember this, but I would imagine the day after I did the test, something else came along. That was my greatest need. And a lot of us live life like that, going from one greatest need to another, and all the time realizing that our greatest need is, in fact, Jesus. And we miss it. And I know that sounds simple, but we'll see it even today with this man who was crippled and he was healed, and yet that wasn't even his greatest need. His greatest need was Jesus. His greatest need was Jesus. Verses 1 to 5 sort of set the scene here for us. Jesus is back in Jerusalem, uh, and again, he makes, he makes a point of going to this place, to this pool, where, there, where he knows there will be diseased and there will be sick and there will be disabled people there. He knows that, and so it's almost intentionally that he goes there. He goes towards this crowd. They're there waiting for the hope of being healed. There's, there's, 
when the waters are stirred, people are put into the pool, and sometimes they're healed. And so these people gather around this pool in the hopes of being healed, and so they're there. And Jesus walks right into the middle of that crowd. They're all there trying to figure out how to be healed, and Jesus walks into the middle of it, into this multitude of people. And that reminds us of just a couple of realities, really. One is this. We live in a broken world. We live in a broken world full of broken people. Jesus goes right into the middle of that group of people. And it reminds us of that reality as well. Jesus intentionally walks into that group of broken people. And I don't know about you, but that should this morning encourage us. That should encourage us. It should encourage us that Jesus intentionally takes those steps to walk directly into that group, that, that space of broken people. Because the reality is that in this room right now, there, there's no other sort of person than that. We're all broken. We're all broken. And, and Jesus walks, we see it clearly, He walks into the middle of that space. He walks into the middle of that crowd because He wants to be there. He wants to be with people. He wants to be with those people, and He wants to heal them. That's the same for us this morning. Jesus walks right into the middle of here. He wants to be with us. He wants to be with broken people. He wants to be with people who need Him desperately. That's the first thing we sort of see, uh, and the first thing we see in the text. Jesus goes directly into that crowd. And then when, when He shows up in verse 6, he comes, he approaches this particular man who, as Jane said, and as we see in the reading, has been, has been sick for almost 40 years. Crippled for almost 40 years. That's a long, long time. And he walks up to this man in particular and asks the question, do you want to be healed? Now, we've, I don't know, but we see a pattern emerging in John where Jesus asks seemingly strange questions, and he, even, he gets even stranger answers. Now, it's one of the most obvious questions you could ever ask at this particular pool. Do you want to be healed? Of course he wants to be healed. He's there. He's been there for 40 years. He wants to be healed. What's his answer? What should his answer have been in that context when, when Jesus walks up to him and says, do you want to be healed? What do you think the answer should have been? Not a rhetorical question. What do you think the answer, what, what do you think the answer should have been? Yes. Yes. I want to be healed. That's not the answer. Do you want to be healed? Strange question. Even stranger answer. Listen to this. I have no one to put me in the pool. The water gets stirred up, and other people beat me to it. That's not what I asked. That's not what Jesus asked. Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? The answer should have been yes, but it wasn't. What on earth is going on? What's going on is this. The man is trying to figure out how to heal himself. 
how to fix himself. And we can see it clearly. He's so lost, and Jesus is right in front of him. His greatest need is right in front of him, and he is trying to fix himself, trying to figure out how he can get himself to the water so that he can be healed. trying to think how he can make himself better, fix himself, sort his problems himself. And Jesus has just this remarkable way of showing up in the Gospels and standing in front of people and saying, I am here. I am your greatest need. I am your only hope. And the fact that Jesus stood in front of this man should have been a warning to him that you can't fix your problems. I am the only one that can fix you. This in and of itself, this reveals something about us. It reveals something about the human heart. You're sitting in here this morning, and you, I, I have no doubt that there are a multitude of problems across this room, a multitude. And I have no doubt that some of the time that I spend over the next 30 minutes, you will, in fact, in your head, try to sort those problems out. Because believe it or believe it or not, I'm not always up here. Sometimes I'm down there, and I know what I think when I'm sitting down there. I'm not always thinking about what's being said. Let's just be honest. And you're sitting there, and you may have problems right now, and you're trying to figure them out. You're trying to sort them out. You're trying to fix them. And it's almost as if Jesus is standing in front of you saying, I'm here. I'm here. Look at me. This is what we try to do. We try to fix ourselves, and we try to fix stuff. Some people think the way that they'll try to fix themselves is to be morally better, just better people. If I'm a better person, everything will, be, will go better, and I, everything will be sorted. Some people think that psychology will fix them, that, that if I can just understand myself better, and if I can just understand the world better, then everything will be okay. Something knowledge will fix them. If I just can accumulate enough knowledge in my head, then I'll know everything. And that'll fix all my problems. And the reality is, Jesus stood in front of this man and said, I am your only hope. And Jesus stands in front of us today saying, I am your only hope. I am the only one who can fix you. I'm the only one who can fix you. And so instead of trying to figure it out, instead of trying to fix ourselves, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see Jesus and how He fixes us, and how He changes us. I don't know about you, but I have tried to fix myself many times. Anybody else? No, just me. I've tried to change a habit or do something different or fix this or fix that. And all the time I read in Scripture, even whilst trying to do that, I read in Scripture that even the faith that I have to believe in God is a gift from God and that I have no ability in and of myself to do anything. Jesus says, 
We'll see it in John later on, as we go through John. Jesus says, you can do nothing apart from me. Nothing. And so we need to look to Jesus. Just as this man needed to look to Jesus, we need to look to Jesus. And then what we see is just the unbelievable power of Jesus Christ displayed. The unbelievable power of Jesus Christ displayed. In verse 8, it's almost as if Jesus doesn't even wait for the man to start his sentence about the whole, I can't get someone to get me in the pool because, and he just, stop that. Pick up your bed and walk. And guess what happens? He picks up his bed and he walks. Why? Because Jesus spoke it into existence. Jesus said it and it happened. That's what happens in the Bible. That's what happens in the Bible. Think about it. The power of Jesus' word is unbelievable. This man who had been laying here for 38 years, he says, take up your bed and walk, and he just jumps up and does exactly what Jesus says. It is powerful. And when you think about it, why would we ever doubt that? Why would we doubt that Jesus' Word is powerful? Because when you trace the steps right back through Scripture, who spoke the universe into being? Jesus. He speaks, and it happens. It's not as if there's an argument or a, or a maybe, gonna, you know, Jesus doesn't speak the universe into existence in the universe, be like, no, I don't think so. No, it happens. It happens. Jesus is the only one who can, who can walk out of a, defeat death and walk out of a grave. And it's that same Jesus that stands in front of this man and brings forth life, where muscle and bone and all those stuff didn't work once, it now works. Get up and walk. This is the power of Jesus. I see, even when we see the physical healings in the Bible, they're not an end in and of themselves they point away to something much greater, a much greater need that we have, and that is eternal healing, salvation. And it's exactly the same. When Jesus speaks, it happens. You see, we aren't able, we're not able, we're not able to open our blind eyes. We're not able to give our dead hearts life. We're not able. But when Jesus speaks, it happens. And I want us to be encouraged by that this morning because, again, across this room, you will have people in your heart and in your mind who you would love to come to meet Jesus. And you've been praying and praying, and you've been sharing the gospel faithfully, and you've been doing what you can, but they don't look any closer to Jesus than they were three, five, ten years ago. And I want you to be encouraged this morning because of this. When Jesus says to the man, pick up your bed and walk, he does it. And when Jesus says, come to me, people come to him. There's no questions asked. There's no questions asked. When Jesus draws, Jesus saves. That's it. 
And so be encouraged to keep going this morning. Keep praying. Keep sharing the gospel because we don't know the moment when Jesus will say, come to me and they will come. They will come. This is a demonstration of the unbelievable power that Jesus Christ possesses. When He speaks, it happens. Keep going. Keep going. The next thing we see here in this, so we have this, the question is asked, strange question, do you want to be healed? Strange answer. No one put me in the pool. We see that the human heart is like that, trying to fix themselves. Then we see the power of Jesus displayed in saying, get up and walk, and he doesn't. But the next thing we see is this. A couple of things I want us to see after that. John gives us a little hint here of what is to come in the second half of verse 9. He says, now, that day was the Sabbath. Now, when you see that in Scripture, you usually go, uh-oh, here we go. Now, that day was the Sabbath. There's going to be some controversy coming up around the Sabbath. No doubt about it. And I, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but today we're not going to get into a big debate about what you can do and what you can't do on the Sabbath. So if you came today, if you've been reading this passage this week and you've been thinking to yourself, I'm going to get it cleared up once and for all. Can I get a Graham's ice cream on a Sunday? Sorry, today is not your day. You can have that internal debate for, for a few weeks' time. We'll maybe go there in a few weeks. Today's not that day. What we see here, though, clearly from the passage is that when Jesus moves, when Jesus does something, there is opposition. When Jesus does something, there is opposition what you would think the response would be to this man's healing is not the response we see. It's a weird response. Verse 10, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. And he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is that man? I don't know. He had withdrawn. It's not the response we would expect. We would expect people to be happy, to be pleased that this man was healed. But no, there's opposition. There's opposition. And this is to be expected, because wherever Jesus is growing His kingdom, Wherever Jesus is moving in power, wherever Jesus is doing something, there is opposition. Why? Because Satan will work against Jesus until the very last day. And as Jesus moves forward, as Jesus builds his kingdom, Satan moves against it and opposes it. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. And yet we often are. I said in the first service, the only thing that surprises me about this now is my surprise to it. If we as a church are faithfully proclaiming the gospel, 
if we're taking the gospel to the community, if we are meeting the needs of the community, we will be opposed. We will be opposed. It's always the way it's been. It's always the way it will be. But I suppose if we were to flip that, maybe, and ask the question of ourselves, and I was to ask the question of myself, and you were to ask the question of yourself, are we being opposed? Where in your own individual walk with Christ at the moment are you being opposed? Not because, let me be very clear, the Bible says that we will be persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of me, Jesus says. And I'm making a distinction there. If you're being persecuted because you're being a... That's not the same thing. If you're being persecuted because of Jesus, then you'd be blessed. Let me ask you, where are you being persecuted? Where are you finding opposition? Dare I say that if I am not being opposed and I am not being persecuted because of righteousness, because of Jesus, then I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing either. Persecution for followers of Jesus comes with a territory. It is inevitable. It is to be expected. And we should not be surprised by it. The church has always grown, always grown when it has been the minority, when it is the persecuted people. Always. That's the first thing we see. There's opposition to when Jesus moves, clearly. Second thing we see, and the second, second thing I want to just hone in on here, is the response of the Jews. As I say, you would think you would think they would be happy. You would think they would celebrate. You would think they would be rejoicing. Here's a man who we know has been crippled is now picking up his bed and walking around. You would think there'd be celebration. No? No. Now, I used the example like earlier on in the first service. Like, think about this. Put it into our context, right? There's a man in the square. Say there's been a man in the square in Rothfriend for 40 years who we see there regularly. And we see that he's, he's there and he's begging. And we know he's crippled. And we know that he's destitute. And we know that he has all these issues. And then tomorrow morning in the milestone, we meet him. And he's walking. And he's at the hot food counter. Getting a half and half because it's very good. Oh. What's our response? Just stop for a wee second and pause. Because we would like to think our response would be one of rejoicing and happiness and gladness. And just stop and pause before we're too judgmental of the Jews because of their response. Because oftentimes, what the problem was here for the Jews was this. Why are you carrying your bed? It's the Sabbath. 
You're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. And I want to save you a bit of time. Don't go and read the whole of the Old Testament this afternoon and try and find out, find this wee rule in the Old Testament where it says you can't carry your bed on the Sabbath. I'll save you a bit of time. It's not there. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say this. Nowhere. What had happened was that the Pharisees had made this rule up to, in order to place it on top of the Old Testament law so that the Old Testament law would be protected so that no one would ever get close to breaking the Sabbath laws, and so they had made this rule up. It's not there. It's not there. It's not in the Old Testament. But let's just pause and think and ask ourselves the question, what would our response be to this man? Would it be the same? Because the problem was these people were so focused on the externals that they, that, that they didn't even see what was going on. They didn't see what God was doing. They were so focused on the externals. Right, let me give you an example to, to make this concrete for us. Because we can be like this, all of us. All of us can be so focused on the externals, we miss what's actually going on. Like today. Like coming to church. What was your focus on as you came to church? What is your focus on when you're here? What will your focus be as you leave? Will it be actually what God is doing in this moment? Because here's the thing. We are in a, a sacred space at the moment where the Word of God is going before us, and the Holy Spirit is, if we believe what we believe, or say we believe, the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of His people to do something from His Word. And, and we believe that is a sacred time and a sacred thing. And are we focused on what God is saying to us this morning? And are we focused when we sing, are we focused on worshiping God? When we pray, are we focused on praying to God? Or are we focused on the externals? Like, I don't like where I was sitting this morning. Them seats weren't great. I think the further you are away from me, the probably the better it is, by the way. But those seats aren't great. I didn't like my seats this morning. What was the music? What was the music like? The music wasn't great. Marcus was a bit off. John was fumbling about in the background there. I didn't know what he was doing. Lanny just does what he wants. We know that. Lanny just, whatever Lanny does, Lanny's good with it. We're all good with it too, so just tear away, Lanny. But the length of the sermon, was the length of the sermon too long? Or did we feel short chains this morning? Was it too short? Was it too long? Was, what was the length of the sermon like? Was the temperature of the room okay? Are you all right? Is everybody all right? Sir, you look cold. Externals. All externals. They don't matter. What matters is what God is doing. What God's saying. 
how God is being worshipped. Those are the things that matter. None of the rest of it matters. It's all fluff. It doesn't matter. So we can be like these people. We can miss what's going on because we're so focused on the externals. And these people, unfortunately, missed what Jesus was doing. So a couple of things. You you clearly see there's opposition. But then in the response, you clearly see that the people, unfortunately, miss what is actually happening. And then as you move on in our text, as we come towards the end of the text today, we, we read that Jesus, it's, it's almost as if Jesus healed the man, the man went away and done his thing, and then Jesus went and found him again in the temple. But because Jesus wanted to have another word with this man, he didn't want to just leave it, that his healing was going to be enough for him. Because that wasn't his greatest need. That wasn't what he needed sorted the most. Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. That's a strange statement again. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. What's Jesus saying? There's, there's different, there's two sides of the, the coin on this one. Many debate this one. Some scholars that I would trust would say Jesus actually means that there was some sin in his life, and that's why he was the way that he was. Some would say that's not the case, and I'm on that. I'm on with these guys. That's not the case. All Jesus is doing is trying to say something more when he says this. So what's he saying? What's he saying? You see, what he's saying is this. Your healing isn't your greatest need. Your holiness is. Your healing isn't your greatest need. Your holiness is. And not only can I bring you physical healing, but I can bring you that uh, acceptance, that holiness that is required from God. I'm the only one that can provide that for you. So now that I've made you well and I've healed you, don't go making a mockery of what I've done. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Don't go making a mockery of what I've given you. Jesus knows that this man is incapable of not sinning. Go and sin no more. Jesus knows he's he's incapable of that. The reality is that we are incapable of that. The reality is that that most of us will not leave this room today. I I could say to you, right, okay, John said, well, it doesn't really matter what I say, but I could say to you, go and sin no more. Jesus has forgiven you. Go and sin no more. Chances of getting out of this room without sinning, slim. Slim. So Jesus knows. So he's not, he can't be saying that, but what does he mean? He means don't make a mockery out of the salvation that I have given you. Don't be throwing it back in my face by the way that you live. What are some of the ways that we can do that? What are some of the ways in which we can make a mockery of the salvation that God has given us? One of the ways that we can make a mockery of the salvation that God has given us is by simply not doing what He's asked us to do or told us to do.
So when Jesus says things like, forgive one another, just as I have forgiven you, when we withhold forgiveness, we make a mockery of the cross. Simple. When we withhold forgiveness, we make a mockery of the cross. If you claim to follow Jesus, you don't have a choice. Now, where are the areas? Only you can answer, only I can answer in my own life, where I think I could be. And this is one of those moments where only the Holy Spirit can do what the Holy Spirit does. And that's what I'm saying. This is a time where things like this happen, where the Word goes forward, the Holy Spirit does what it does. Where are the areas in your life where you are making a mockery of the salvation that God has given you by not doing what Jesus has asked you to do? Think about that. Ponder that, especially before we come to communion. So what we see clearly in this text today is the, are, are a couple of things, a few things. We try to fix ourselves. And Jesus stands before us and says, Stop it. Stop it. I'm the only one that can fix you. We see the power of Jesus displayed. We see the fact that when Jesus works, there will be opposition. We see that we are like the Jews in certain ways. We miss what's, go what, what's actually going on sometimes. We miss what's going on. And sometimes, unfortunately, all of us can make a mockery of the salvation that we have been given. But I'm thankful this morning to go back to the start. And Jesus walks into that space where there are broken people. And he walks in here today into a room of broken people. And whilst he said to this man, pick up your bed and walk, he says to us, you can be forgiven. You can be healed. You can be whole but it's only through me. It's only through me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you've spoken to us. You, oh, it's, it's just uh, an amazing gift that we have. And I pray that now the Holy Spirit will, you will, Holy Spirit, do the work that you can only do in the hearts of your people. Please speak. Please heal. Please restore. In those areas where we're trying to fix ourselves, stop us. Point us to Jesus. in those areas where we're making a mockery of the salvation that you have given us. Stop us. Point us to Jesus. We love you, Jesus. 
We love you and we thank you. And it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. So when we come to communion, uh, we're remembering Jesus' body broken for us. We're remembering his blood that was shed for us. Lanny, did I catch you off guard some? See, just does what he wants, told you. Um, we remember Jesus' body broken for us. We remember his blood shed for us. And it should be a joyful thing. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven. You're free. That should be a joyful thing. So remember his body, remember his bloodshed, and then so eat and so drink. If you're not a follower of Christ this morning, then I lovingly ask that you don't take communion. And we read that that would not be good for you or make sense for you in any way to do that, so, so please don't. But let's come now and worship Jesus. Worship our King, worship our Lord, worship our Savior, worship our friend.